Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Content and Caffeine. My name is Kaya Ismail, and this week I was joined on the podcast by Jason Gates, who is the founder and marketing strategist at Endgame Marketing. That's Endgame, the company guys, not the movie, okay? Uh, me and Jason have uh, worked together for a while. Uh, we grew close uh, after a client of Wordify has hired uh, Wordify and hired Endgame Marketing at the same time to collaborate and work together. And that's exactly what we did. Uh, we were uh, on calls a lot of the time, um, speaking on Slack and elsewhere. So I got to know uh, a lot about how Jason works and how his mind works. And he is probably the most capable um, search engine optimizer that I've come across um, in my career. And you know, he's just got such a great eye for, for spotting patterns, for um, you know, uncovering keywords that you know, a content strategist may, may overlook. Um, figuring out how those keywords will translate into ROI, what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of content is generate, generating ROI right now, what kind of content isn't, how that can be remedied, you know, all these all the sort of gaps that can appear in a content strategy over time. Jason is really, really good at plugging those gaps and making sure that every piece of content that gets produced is, uh, is going to move the needle, so to speak. So yeah, Jason was a perfect guest for me to have on to discuss SEO, basically. And uh, we jumped into how, you know, everything from how to sort of, uh, first go about doing keyword research and sort of getting your list together. From there, we just, we just went to a whole, whole load of things. And we, you know, we, I think we ended up um, discussing our favorite SEO tools as well. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff in here. Um, it's one of our longer episodes, which, which I'm happy about. I'm trying to extend the uh, length of these episodes to bring you guys more, more value. Uh, but yeah, I won't um, distract you any further from the, the main content. So. Go ahead and jump in. And as usual, of course, this episode, like all the episodes of Content and Caffeine, is brought to you by Wordify, the content marketing agency for SaaS companies. If you want to find out more about us and how we can help you and your software company, head over to Wordify, that's W-O-R-D-I-F-Y dot co dot C-O. And uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Jason, thanks so much for joining me today. Okay, I appreciate it. Uh, I've been uh, looking forward to this. Yeah, likewise, likewise. We've got some interesting things to discuss. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to jumping into those. But for now, where are you calling in from? Uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Okay, just right over the pond from us, not too far away. Very nice. What's, what's your favorite coffee over there? Uh, just, uh, you know, drip coffee is uh, huge over here. Not too much over there in, in Europe. Yeah, uh, true. But uh, just a tri- traditional drip coffee coffee flavored coffee nothing in it <laughs> okay coffee fancy coffee yeah it's, i mean it's interesting you say that you know drip coffee isn't uh, that sort of prevalent here in in europe and the uk and it's true although i've just i've just sort of uh, got set up in a new co-working space and they do have drip coffee here they've got like a whole like proper machine for it and i've got no clue how it works so what i do is i just wait for somebody else to make make a pot and then i just go and use it because i've got no clue how to do it so um yeah, maybe next time I'm in the States, I'll actually learn that. They've got like a YouTube video instruction thing, but I just haven't had the time to, I don't know. I'm just used to sort of putting the instant fee in and stirring it. I sound like such an amateur. But anyway, let's jump into what we're actually going to talk about today. Um, you're a man who has a lot of history in the agency world, right? Yeah, absolutely. What does that look like? I mean, right now, I know you're the, the founder of Endgame Marketing, which is obviously another agency. But talk to me a bit more about Endgame and, you know, the, the roles you had before as well. Yeah, well, I mean, over time, uh, you can kind of break what I've done up into kind of three sections. Uh, the first part, uh, I wrote a course materials book on search optimization. 
uh, and strategy. Uh, traveled the country teaching search and architecting strategies for some great uh, companies. Um, and I ended up uh, having a friend turn to me and say, I want to develop a full service agency. And he had primarily design develop. Uh, so I came on board to help on the marketing side, became their COO, stayed there for 10 years, then did the whole adult thing, <clears throat> met a girl, had a couple of kids and decided, you know what, I need a little flexibility in my life. So I moved on from there, started Endgame, and I'm primarily focusing on the nerdy types of marketing like SEO, uh, SEM, uh, you know, uh, a lot of uh, analytics and data analyzation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, for transparency's sake, you and me have worked together on, a few, on, on, on one project anyway. So I know sort of how you work. I know you're a man who loves data. You're a man who loves, you know, checking out the numbers and, and seeing what works and experimenting and seeing how that sort of, um, you know, manifests itself in the numbers later on. Um, why is that, do you think? Why, why are you more of a, of a math man when it comes to this kind of thing? And why are you, why are you sort of more inclined to the SEO side of things? Yeah, well, I mean, so uh, the first one on the, the mathematics and numbers side, um, it's tough to argue with hard proof and evidence. Mm -hmm. And when you kind of look, when I look back upon my career, I've worked with a number of very talented people, uh, you know, and to be able to see a strategy be created, implement that strategy, and then take hard numbers and prove that strategy has worked. It's a very compelling case uh, when it comes to justifying your worth to the people that you're working with. Yeah, you have, and you mentioned that you've worked with a few, few talented people. You've worked with um, a couple of brands, I think, or at least one that is like um, most people know about UFC, right? What, how, how did that go? What was that like, and what kind of projects were were you were you helping them with? Absolutely. I mean, so Ultimate Fighting Championships, uh, we came on board there around UFC 55. I think that was our Losky Benatello. So way way back there for UFC fans, mm -hmm. uh, and we you know, we're part of uh, a team that uh, did everything from created creating uh, the old UFC.com site. Actually, back then it was UFC.tv. They didn't even have the .com back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, creating all sorts of other website properties, helping with analytics, helping with uh, some data analyzation, uh, you know, and it was amazing. I loved working with those folks. Very, very talented team. Um, you know, and you know, there was a lot of data to play with. So I was a kid in the candy store from that perspective. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine you with, with all that data and how, how happy that would have made you. So bringing, bringing it back to sort of the content creation uh, side of things. So when talk about sort of, um, you know, the content creation process from three different angles, um, and you and me have sort of discussed this off, off air as well. So I want to touch on like the process of content creation and what, what that process should look like and what kind of infrastructure a brand should have in place to create content. Um, then I want to talk about sort of creating purposeful content because, you know, you may have the infrastructure, but you may not be uh, producing content that's actually moving the needle. And then finally, we'll talk about SEO, which is, you know, your, your forte, Jason, I know, and the cost of that. And, you know, if you're SEO from a CFO's perspective. So let's jump straight into the, the first one here, which is infrastructure. So what should, you know, if, if a brand wants to start creating content, what should the infrastructure look, what should they be aiming for? 
Uh, well, the number one uh, resource there is going to be time. Um, you need to have time to, to write, whether that be time that you dedicate internally or that be time that you outsource uh, to a talented third party. Um, you need to have time uh, to basically get that thing set, you know, to get that thing set up. Uh, in terms of just what that infrastructure looks like, you know, you need to have a marketing strategy. You have to know who you're selling to, what you're selling, uh, what makes you unique. Um, and then from that perspective, you can give that information to that content writing team. You also need some solid SEO. You need, you know, and these topics are kind of interwoven that you've talked about today, uh, where that SEO is going to be looking to make sure that we steer into with content with intent, which is a term that I like to use. Um, you know, looking at those key phrases, making sure that there is solid search traffic and it's actually worth going after. So, you know, make sure you have a, you know, that's marketing strategy, make sure you have a solid SEO plan. And then most importantly, make sure you have uh, uh, time. Okay, fair enough. So you mentioned there again, content with intent. So, okay, you've got, you've got the time, you, you've sort of allocated the time, you, maybe you've got a, a team ready in-house or you've got, you know, an agency helping you uh, to create this content. You've, you've done some SEO research, you've, you've sort of, you've figured out a few keywords that you should be going after. And um, well, actually, let's talk about that. So the keywords that you should be going after, what should, what should that look like? Should it be like free keywords that they should go after? Should it be 30? Somewhere in between? Should it be going for sort of long tail only? Just like two key, very uh, short phrases only? How, how, how should that look? In short, yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> brilliant. Next so, question. <laughs> well, I mean, so, you know, long and the short of it is a lot, you know, your keyword strategy and your keyword selection strategy really is going to be dictated by what you could potentially acquire. The volume of keywords and the types of keywords you're gonna select if you're just starting out is gonna be very different than if you have a very mature content team. Mm. So, you know, kind of give you an example here. If you're just starting out, you know, it may be a little weird to go after something long tail or maybe something that has some relatively low traffic or maybe a couple of, of, of terms that are in there. But uh, if you're just starting out, go and hit that single. You don't have to hit a home run right out of the gates. Yeah. Um, you know, and especially seeming at that point, you need to write and you need to write frequently and you need to be comfortable with writing. So I would almost say that, uh, and you'll probably shun me for saying this as a, as a hypocritical statement, but <laughs> the data doesn't matter as much as the process of creating content when you're first starting out. Uh, Make sure you hit the broad side of the barn. Make sure you're satisfying users' needs. But when you're just starting out, get in there and write and prove that you can write, uh, which goes back to that first topic we, we hit upon yeah. on the infrastructure. Yeah, and I, think, I suppose that sort of comes under the umbrella of time, right? I mean, it's not just having sort of time once per quarter or once per month. You have to really allocate like, um, you know, daily or, or at least weekly time slots where, you know, either you or somebody else is actually producing that content and then somebody else is reviewing it and making sure it's in line with the messaging and that kind of thing. And you know, the, the end goal here is, is consistent or the end game, wink, wink, should be consistency, right? So you can't have consistency without time, you know? So I think uh, what you just said really sort of lends, um, you know, uh, it, it sort of underlines the, the need for time because, you know, if you don't have the time uh, on a consistent basis, then you may, you may produce content 
for the first first month and maybe the second month but if other things sort of take priority over that sort of uh, content strategy and your infrastructure isn't sound enough to sort of you know hold things at bay if you will then you're ultimately gonna fail right yeah no and you know to kind of uh, switch gears on you a little bit there the you know so you got your your beginners we just talked about right so then you kind of get into that mid-tier um, or the let's call them the contender tier uh, and then the final tier is going to be the like advanced uh, leader tier um, so I want to make sure I hit that first question you, you hit me with uh, which is you know from a keyword research standpoint how many words what are the volumes what's the the, the strategy there so on the basic side just get comfortable writing on that mid-tier you're looking for targets of opportunity. Uh, you may not own the space. You may be a contender. Uh, you might not have the power to own every term, but if you put a lot of focus on a particular term, you can stand toe to toe with a big guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that there, you know, you typically kind of go out there and, you know, own a topic, not a key phrase. This is something we've talked about just in the sidelines. Yeah. Um, you know, look beyond what that search user is uh, looking for to satisfy the keyword. So if someone asks, let's talk a little barbecue, shall we? Uh, you know, what temperature should I slow cook a rack of ribs? Well, yeah, you got to satisfy that particular uh, query with content, but you really need to own everything around that. You need to know what kind of rub should you put onto it. You need to know what kind of barbecue sauce or uh, you need to put onto it. The types of wood, the smoke levels, how frequently to add wood, how long do you let the ribs rest? Uh, you know, all these things need to be encompassed, encompassed in there so that you can stand toe to toe and really showcase the fact that you are an expert in authority. Absolutely. I think that is, you know, right on the money because Again, a lot of a lot of uh, brands start out and they think, you know, we have never been blogging before or producing content like this before. And there's four of our competitors and they've got a massive blog audience. They've been blogging for years. How are we going to come in and compete with these guys, especially on our sort of core topics, right? But when it comes to sort of going toe-to-toe -to -toe with these big guys, as you mentioned, what a lot of brands don't understand is that it's not necessarily a website versus website uh, deal. It can be a web page versus web page deal. So what you need to do check out those competitors, see where their strengths are, what topics they've covered fantastically, because they probably have done, and what topics they haven't covered so well or, or at all. Once you find those sort of weak points, there's your opportunity to go produce content in those gaps. Uh, and as you said, you know, they may have, they may have had something on, you know, cook, uh, cooking a particular piece of meat in a particular type of way, but can you come with, you know, additional content on that? Can you come and say, you know, here's, here's, you know, the top five sort of barbecue sauces to use with this type of meat or the top five barbecue sort of, um, you know, the actual barbecue itself, there's sort of different types that you can get that kind of stuff where you can sort of one up them on areas they haven't quite um, filled out yet. Those are like, those are the opportunities, right? Those are the places where you can go very, very quickly, very early on and get some quick wins. Spot on. I mean, you get those wins, you own those wins, and you stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the big dogs. Yeah. And once you get those small wins, you know, then you can start looking at the at the core topics, you know. It, it may take you some time to build up some domain authority and some, some web page authority with, with, those other, with those other ones. But um, I think that paired with what you said before, which is, you know, uh, getting consistent, getting that time in place and, and being a company that is constantly producing content. Once that, isn't, once that is in place and that's rolling, over three, four, five, six month period, I think then you will start to see some some traction, even with the the large keywords that you didn't think was previously possible to rank for. 
Absolutely. I love those days when those rankings start to climb. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that's, that's the thing. I mean, it takes a while, you know, and no, no, nobody should be under any illusions that this is going to be like a quick, a quick win um, in terms of the entire strategy. You know, if you are starting out uh, relatively, you know, later than your competitors and they've got a head start, then you're going to feel that you're going to feel the fact they've got a head start. You're going to feel the fact that they've got an existing audience and a, and a, a sort of stronger domain name. You're going to feel that. But if you, do, if you do stay consistent, again, going back to what you said with time and keeping your time in order and keeping consistency there and looking, at, looking out for the opportunities rather than sort of the, the, the massive wins uh, sort of out of the gate, then, uh, yeah, I think for sure, after a few months, you, you do start seeing those rankings go up and you start seeing the traffic flow in. And um, it, it, it's motivating at that point. You think, wow, it, it can actually work. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that last group there, uh, the big dogs, um, what kind of traffic they should be going after now. Uh, you know, depending on the uh, industry that they're in, you know, big dog might not, might, it might not take much to be a big dog. Um, especially if you're in a niche market and you know your key phrases and how do you're on and how your audiences are uh, searching for things that you're selling, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so for those bigger folks, it's making sure that you always maintain your message, you always maintain your core, and you defend uh, the terms that you know you're ranking for and are actually converting. Uh, a lot of that has to do with potentially taking pieces of content that have been written and then making sure that you, uh, you know, rewrite them or adjust them so that they stay on top. Uh, you know, you're monitoring rankings. You're seeing if something starts to, to falter, you're going to go in there and, and modify it. And of course you're always out there trying to gain more key phrases. Um, but you know, the keyword research does flow into, you know, how do I maintain and how do I adjust existing content to make sure that I uh, stay on top. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, moving on to the next topic is, is, is content of intent. So what does that mean to you? You know, creating content that's purposeful. Um, we spoke earlier about sort of purposeful, both, both from an operational perspective and from the perspective of the end clients. What, what does that mean? Content of intent right now? Yeah. So content with intent is, you know, making sure that not only are you satisfying uh, the user's need, uh, like we talked about in that barbecue example, uh, but making sure that you have uh, that whole process kind of taken down in terms of content creation. You never should just create a blog post. You're going to create that blog post and then you're going to create a reason for conversion that's probably beyond that of just, hey, give me your email address or, hey, would you like to buy this thing? Uh, it could be, for example, we're going to hit that barbecue one and let's say uh, it's a, you know, a, a barbecue uh, cookbook website, let's just say. Uh, so you talk about everything there has to do about ribs uh, and then you can have a content upgrade, uh, which is essentially a piece of content that's gated that requires an email address to acquire. Uh, so you can create a content upgrade that says barbecue checklist, everything that you need to, to, before you start to smoke. Uh, in that piece of content, you type in your email address and you get a link to a PDF that you can download, print, and then use uh, to basically go out there and get your ribs cooked. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's so to link it back to what we initially said with you know content with intent. So when you're producing content, you need to know what's the the call to action here. So we're producing this blog post about you know whatever you know, we're talking about barbecue. So if you're writing about a barbecue. As, as Jason just said, what is the actual call to action at the end of that blog post? Is it just to say, you know, hey, if you want to buy barbecue sauce from us and, you know, visit our shop, is, is, is that a good enough call to action? Have you actually nurtured that, that, um, that reader or that client or that consumer enough? Or should there be a call to action where there's, you know, a downloadable asset where you're getting data in exchange for, for more content? That intent needs to be there. So before you actually create any content, you need to know what does that funnel look like once they've once they've done once they've done reading this blog post where do they go now and what does that look like then what happens after that how do we nurture them after that and then where is the cell so yeah i think that pretty much covers content with intent right i mean jason is anything else you add on that on that particular particular point well, you know, you know, the one other thing that I would probably say is that not only are you going to create your your content uh, to answer the the question of the search user, that's your, your the intent there. You're also giving them that content upgrade. And then if you have a more sophisticated or long sales cycle, maybe like in the B2B industry, mm -hmm. I would do something that uh, is called a transitional nurture. Uh, and what a transitional nurture is, is you know, a lot of more sophisticated uh, conversion funnels, they'll have a, uh, a nurture path for maybe each one of your personas, for example. Uh, what I would basically say is have a transitional nurture that transitions the, the user from the content that they uh, asked for and the piece of content that they downloaded as a companion and transition them into your normal funnel with a very specific nurture that speaks to the pieces of content you know they've already consumed. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, that intent that that user came in for needs to transition all the way through to your normal funnel. Eventually it does have to be normalized, but if you can ease the user into it, you're gonna increase your open rates uh, and your conversion rates further on down the line by making sure that that content still is continually satisfying that initial intent that the user had. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, like, I like to look at this from like a, a funnel perspective, right? Where, and you should, and every brand should have multiple funnels depending on what they're, they're selling. So when it comes to software, you know, uh, there may be, you may have a piece of software that sort of satisfies free, free needs for a business. So maybe intranet, e-commerce, and just general website management. So you should have content that fits into all three, all of those three different funnels. And the content you produce in those funnels, you should know where in that funnel is, is that content going and what is the intent of the uh, person reading it and what is our intent for them. So, you know, you have the sort of top of funnel stuff where you've got the blog posts and maybe you sort of explain the pieces. Middle of funnel would be like this content uh, upgrade that Jason is mentioning, could be like a PDF, uh, something they can download and have additional information or checklists and then at the bottom of the funnel you can start thinking about okay how do we actually now sort of transition these guys into uh, an sql maybe is that through uh, email marketing a, a drip campaign or something similar to that so each of and that should be replicated for each of those three different three different sort of uh, funnels that you have so like i said before intranets e-commerce and website management uh, there should be different content for each of those three different funnels and each piece of content that you put into that funnel you should, you should know what, what the role of that content is and how you're sort of pushing that person down that funnel towards essentially a sales call or a demo. That's, does that sound about right, Jason? Absolutely. And if you've got some number nerds uh, that are, are kind of integrated into this, take 
taking a look at each one of those steps and optimizing and putting numbers to them, uh, you know, is pretty key. I mean, you yeah. have a writing stage where you're basically trying to create engagement, but you know, take a look and see what is that conversion? How many emails or sales or leads did that particular blog post create? If you modify the structure of that blog, uh, what could, you know, well, how will that impact uh, your conversion rates? So not only do you look at that whole funnel, but also look at those micro numbers, especially if you're in the trenches, kind of in there doing stuff, mm -hmm. uh, looking at those individual micro numbers and making sure that you can have a good pulse on them and know how to move them is going to be key to making sure that your entire content strategy is a success. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's a you know provides a nice segue for us into the, the next um, sort of topic I want to talk about, which is uh, SEO not being free. So again, we've spoken about this offline, and you know, talking about SEO from a CFO's perspective, so a chief financial officer's perspective. Um, yeah, what do you mean by that? By SEO not being free? Because when other people here talk about you know SEO, they're thinking you know uh, optimizing a page or a website to rank to rank better, and you know you you might pay. An agency to do that or you might pay somebody in-house to do that but um, that's pretty much it right or am I wrong well I mean so SEO not being free in the sense that uh, a lot of folks when they uh, talk about content writing or I'm gonna write a blog uh, you know the the attitude sometimes that kind of comes across that I'll see or I have seen is oh well I'm just gonna have this person write uh, and okay that that's nice, but do they have time to write? And mm -hmm. you know, those people that are going to be writing, they do have a salary. Um, you know, people cost money, so SEO is not free. Uh, and like you said, there's also if you're to the point where you have uh, you know a, a site that's relatively well established, and you do have an agency come in there and perform some SEO efforts, again, there's actual hard money that's being used there. So. What I like to do to justify, uh, you know, any SEO initiative uh, is to basically take a look at the value of what you've been able to earn. Uh, and this is where you can basically get the CFO on your side because they know, because they're asking of their marketing folks, uh, you know, what is our cost per acquisition? What is our cost per lead? Uh, what's our cost per sale? You know, these are the types of things that that CFO needs to, to be able to get answers to. Yeah. And if you can basically take a look at, all right, here's 40 key phrases that we are currently getting traffic from. Uh, we know how much it would cost if we were to buy that traffic through pay-per-click means. And that traffic times pay-per-click cost is essentially an earned value for your SEO efforts. And you can now amortize that potentially over the staying power of content. So let's just say you earned a term that uh, gets about 100 clicks per month. Uh, and let's say that that is a $20 per click uh, key phrase. All right. So that's about $2,000 per month that you've earned. And let's say the staying power in general of the content that you're creating is about six months. That's essentially a twelve thousand uh, dollar asset that was created through the efforts of that content writing team, uh, and that's where you can start building out that cost versus income style of, of of taking a look at that math, where you can say, all right, well, I spent six grand, I made 
12,000 worth of market efforts out of it, that seems to be a pretty good profit. Now let's see how we're actually converting that. And then you can kind of get further down and down the funnel to take a look at quality and how many of those leads converted and so on. So, I mean, essentially SEO is not free. Uh, and you can basically calculate what that uh, uh, earning is by taking the traffic and multiplying it by the cost. So you got a hundred clicks, you got $20 a click, uh, you know, in Google AdWords, let's say, that's two grand uh, worth of value that was earned over a month. And if you amortize that over the staying power of your content, let's say any asset that you create is six months, this could be a $12,000 asset that was created. And essentially what that ends up transitioning into is a conversation with your CFO that basically says, look, we spent about six grand and we were able to turn that into 12 grand worth of value. Uh, so this is a worthwhile effort. And now we're gonna basically kick it down the funnel and start saying, all right, what was the quality of these leads? How much money did we make off of them? Did we generate any sales off of it? And so on. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, perfect. Okay, so that sounds good, but a brand would probably turn around and say, well, how long does that take until we're sort of getting positive ROI from our efforts? Because, you know, when we talk about content marketing, the first thing that people say is, and we said this earlier as well, is it's a long-term game. You're not going to get, you know, massive wins very quickly. So let's say they've got, they've got, you know, the first two steps down, they've got their infrastructure right, they've got the time right, they're consistent, uh, their intent is good, they know why they're creating each piece of content, they've got a funnel, uh, they've got, you know, uh, layers of content that sort of, there's call to actions, calls to action at the end of each piece of content, you know, things should be moving in the right direction. But it's been, you know, two, three, four months now, and the positive ROI isn't there yet. Is that normal? What point should that start looking positive? Yeah, and a lot of this has to do with, you know, how you're tracking and how you're measuring. So I like to kind of get into a, a situation where I'm constantly trying to widen the funnel and sharpen the depth of the funnel. Mm -hmm. uh, and so here's what I mean by that. Remember all those micro kind of calculations we were talking about uh, in terms of knowing not only your funnel, but the things that kind of make up that funnel, uh, something yeah. we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, you can kind of get in there and say, well, you know what? I want to make sure that I have a good solid volume of data top of funnel. So you're going to be constantly taking a look at rankings and how much traffic is coming inbound. And as you're kind of going through that process, you'll reach a critical mass where you can start making decisions about data. Now, at the very top of the funnel, you're going to be able to uh, modify things quick and actually get some results quick. Uh, so you modify a title tag, it might take a week or two to kind of filter through and you can see how your click through rate has changed on a particular key phrase. Uh, let's say you're getting several hundred people a day or even over a course of a week on a particular page. You can start changing on page factors to see if you can help that conversion rate in terms of getting them further down the funnel, whether that be lead generation, uh, giving an email address with a content upgrade, what have you. Um, you know, and as you're modifying that, you may not be to a point where you're talking ROI yet, but you are in a point where you're basically saying, well, look, I came in and I've widened that funnel because now we've doubled the volume of uh, folks that are coming in and we've doubled the effectiveness, the rate at which we've been collecting, say, email addresses. 
from there, you can start taking that widening funnel and you're gonna have more data going down to the next level. The thing that would be the worst case scenario is you're in two months deep and you're looking at what that endpoint is and you haven't been winding your funnel. Uh, that's the number one priority you need to do is wind that funnel. If you just focus on a narrow funnel with a narrow amount of traffic coming inbound, that's gonna try and trickle down into a sale or two, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to get lucky, you're going to get a sale, and you're going to look like a hero, or you're not going to get a sale, and you're going to have a tough conversation. Uh, but the fact is, you don't really know what you got down that, down that far on the funnel because you haven't been widening it. So I wouldn't focus on ROI. I would, you know, until you have enough data into that ROI uh, layer, um, and then you can start really honing in onto it. Let's say your number one goal is to, let's say, um, you know, make uh, a particular sale. So you're gonna be collecting email addresses. If you're only getting one email address a week, it's tough to know whether or not the quality is there. But if you start getting to the point where you've got, you know, 100 emails a week that then convert into 10 meetings a week, you should start to see some semblance of return on investment at that point. But to judge it when you don't have, uh, you know, enough data at that endpoint uh, would be premature. Does that answer your question pretty well? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, you know, to, to sort of distill that a bit more, I think what we're saying here is that ROI is, you know, to, in, Traditionally speaking, ROI is, you know, money in my pocket after money I've spent, right? But maybe when it comes to content, particularly, ROI should be measured, at least the early stage, stages, as, you know, positive signals. So you're talking there about, you know, collecting emails, um, I would say sort of, you know, increases in traffic, um, that kind of thing. People, people sort of, again, giving you their data, so giving you, giving you emails, um, sticking around, you can check with your analytics, whether they're sort of coming back to your website more than once and actually becoming an engaged, an engaged person. These are sort of positive um, signals that indicate that, okay, the money that, I've, that we've spent so far on content marketing hasn't actually come back into our pockets yet, but these early signs are here that something could happen or something you know, should happen if, if things continue uh, down the, uh, on the same sort of route. And, you know, I've been in situations personally where we're helping companies with, with content and for the first six, eight, nine months, nothing's happening. We've got these positive signals, but there's no direct ROI back. Um, but then, you know, one of those, one of those emails that they collected in that eight, nine months turns into a high six figure contract for them. Right. And suddenly overnight we've gone from zero ROI to more ROI than they actually predicted that they'll get at all in the first year. So, you know, content can work that way too. And I think the only way you can sort of put yourself in a position to get that sort of ROI very, you know, very quote unquote quickly, uh, sort of overnight, in an overnight perspective, even though it could take you eight months or, or a year, is to get those positive signals uh, early on, right? Absolutely. You know, one way you could probably look at this is no differently than how you would retire, you know, or save for retirement. You're developing an asset when it comes to SEO. Uh, unlike a paycheck when it comes, uh, to, you know, to, to working or, uh, you know, a pay-per-click in, in, in Google, uh, you're generating an asset. So if you're going to put 50 bucks a, 
uh, month into a savings account to eventually retire, it doesn't feel like you're making much progress to start. But it's like saying after two, three weeks or even a month or two, am I retired yet? It's like, no, but here are the indicators. You've got money in stocks and you know that money's gonna double every 10 years and you know all those kind of institutional things that you look at to say, all right, you're on a path to retirement. No differently than the investments you're making in content and SEO, where you know that first you're gonna be looking at rankings. Once you get rankings, you can then optimize those rankings. Once you have optimized rankings, you can then start taking a look at how you're gonna get those initial interactions uh, with your website uh, you know, under control. And then depending how deep your funnel is uh, and how long that sales cycle is, you're gonna be nurturing those people along um, you know, throughout that process. Yeah, I like that analogy. I think that's really, really cool. Cool. Okay, let's move on to the quick fire round. Are you ready for this one, Jason? It is very quick and very fiery. Bring it on. <laughs> okay. So first question is, what's your favorite social network right now and why? Uh, you know, I would have to say uh, Instagram, um, particularly because as a, <clears throat> as a, a father, mm -hmm. uh, I am liking the fact that they are removing the, the likes yeah uh, that are there and they're kind of removing the popularity contest uh yeah. that's out there um and i think it's going to overall uh create better content and uh you know i'm actually taking this particular answer from a a, a co-worker that i'm working with now uh who's pretty bright that uh you know she was sitting there talking about you know how content is going to be improved because now people aren't creating content for the purpose of likes they're creating yeah. content because they want to create content. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really, really um, interesting point because we mentioned earlier about the the intent behind con uh, behind content as well. And this is this is mainly for you know entrepreneurs and influencers and that kind of thing. Maybe less so for B two B brands, but I think it does hold, hold weight too the B two B space. When it comes to sort of producing content, are you just looking for that for that quick win? Those you know hundred likes or thousand likes or million likes, whatever sort of size audience you have. Or is that piece of content actually, you know, is it part of a long-term plan, right? And I think I agree, Instagram's step to remove likes is going to be an interesting one for the influencer industry, for sure. But I think as well for, for businesses that, you know, probably didn't actually worry too much about get getting a million likes, especially in the B2B space, you know, they may just sort of see a positive impact on, on, on their content as well because they're sort of less worried about how many likes they're getting and more, more worried about, or hopefully more worried about, where that piece of content fits into their, their overall strategy, their overall funnel. Yeah, it's like drinking light beer. All those lights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Doesn't do you any good. Yep. Uh, next question is, who's content you consume the most right now? So that could be an Instagrammer, it could be a, a Norfa or a podcaster, whoever it may be. You know, um, I, I might m mix up his name here, but uh, Seth Godwin, I think, is the, the guy's name. Godin, uh, yeah, yep, yep. Read his book. I get his uh, email every day. Uh, and out of all the folks vying for my eyes and attention via email, I always make it a point to, to that particular content. Uh, yeah, he is He is very, very cool. Um, and, yeah, I can, I can see why you're you're sort of uh, inclined to, to to his content because like you he's a, he's a very calculated marketer he, he takes very calculated decisions 
Yeah, I love my numbers. Uh, and then uh, more institutional-wise, I've always been a fan of uh, Search Engine Watch. Okay, fair enough. Cool. And finally, what's your one tip for content marketers? Uh, write, write, write. Um, you know, that's the hardest thing to kind of, um, you know, the, the biggest hurdle to kind of get over is making sure that uh, you write and you write on a, a predictable schedule. Um, even I have trouble uh, sometimes making sure with all the, you know, commitments that I have between clients and family and all that hoopla where, you know, sometimes you just got to make sure it, you write. And once you kind of, you know, get past the fact that it couldn't be sometimes daunting, you get down to it and it's like, you know what, a blog post for me personally, you know, depending on how long it is, probably takes me two to three hours, soup to nuts, uh, you know, brainstorming, keyword research, writing uh, to get done. Uh, but for some reason, there's a switch in my head that's like, I don't, you know, you kind of get in there and then once you, you flip that switch and say, you know what, I'm doing this, bam, two to three hours over two days, um, and it's done. Uh, so write, 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 and make sure that you write. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And I suppose, you know, that goes for, because content marketing isn't just writing. So, you know, there may be brands who are using videos or, or podcasts. And I think the same, the same goes there. You know, if, you're, if, if videos and if video content is your, your content, your, your main, main content, then, you know, record, record, record. And if um, same thing for podcasting or if it's Instagram, then, Snap, 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 I suppose. So again, it sort of links back to the uh, first thing we spoke about, which is time and, and consistency again. And, um, you know, I think you'll find that, you know, you can even see most, most companies in, in their own respective industries, they may see competitors doing really well on social media or doing really well uh, with their blog. And I'll say, well, their, their content isn't really as good as ours, actually. I think our content is better than theirs. But then you've got to look, you know, yes, you're right, but they've been doing it more consistent, consistently than you over a longer period of time. And that's why their content is doing better. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's where sort of right, right, right comes into play. Absolutely. And uh, to your point, uh, maybe it really should be create, create, create. Yes. Uh, regardless of the medium that is your choice of content creation, create. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. Jason, thanks so much for coming on the show. How can our listeners find you online? Uh, yeah, you can just go to endgamemarketing.com uh, uh, and if you want to talk to me, just send me an email. It's on there. Sounds fair enough. Thanks again, Jason. Hey, take it easy and thanks for having me on here. No problem at all. Guys, thank you for listening to Content and Caffeine. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to share it with your friends and your colleagues and please remember to rate and review us on iTunes or whichever app you're listening to us on. If you're looking for show notes, head over to wordify.co forward slash podcast and I'll see you again next week.